Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. We're walking through the book of Luke, thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, to see the world the way he does, and to integrate his patterns into our life. I hope you enjoyed the sermon today. I also wanted to point you to the description section where you can find the church's website. We would love for you to visit our church and consider investing in our ministry. There's two other links. One is a podcast that I do with a therapist at Renew Church, and we kick around issues like dating, mental health, and friendships. And lastly, there's a children's book series and a journal that I wrote with my wife and my mentor, and we'd love for you to look at those resources as well. Thank you so much for being a part of the Renew Church family, and I hope that you enjoy the sermon today. God bless. Hello, church. (laughs) Okay. Well, sounds like no one here gets offended, right? Uh, So today we're going to continue in our uh, series in Luke. And uh, the topic today is is a topic that's not quite easy. Uh, The the title is coming. (laughs) There we go. Whoops, back one. Okay. Offended by Jesus. Not an easy topic. So to be offended, Webster says, it's to cause a person or group to feel hurt, angry, or upset by something said or done. Feeling or expressing hurt, indignation, or irritation because of a perceived wrong or insult. I like what someone said. To me, being offended is when a person allows another person, creature, or thing to negatively affect them to the point of their senses in some way being objectively distorted. In other words, someone says something, I got triggered and was emotionally hijacked. And as I was preparing this message, I was thinking and even saying to Christy, you know, I don't really remember any recent time when I was offended, but uh, as God would, in his humorous way, uh, this week, as I was preparing, (laughs) I got deeply offended, deeply offended uh, by someone at work. It it had to do with respect, transparency, due process, and of course, finances. And and as as I was going through this, I, I was laughing at the same time that I was crying, that uh, I was saying to Christy, why, God really wants me to really, you know, be in touch with these raw emotions about being offended just for you guys this morning. <laughs> so I, I, made a, I made a note to self, next time Wilson texts you, say, hey, would you like to preach on this passage? Make sure you know what the topic is before you agree. Otherwise, God's going to give you a lesson. Anyway, so when we talk about... Uh, offended by Jesus, it almost seems inappropriate to say these two words in the same sentence. Um, But if you really think about it, and Christy and I have have sat over the years with many uh, numerous brothers and sisters uh, who were genuinely offended by God. Uh, Here are some examples of some of our friends that were offended. Um, For example, for a young adult, I have, I have only dated Christians. I've remained sexually 
pure, yet I am still single. Uh, all my friends are, are married and they're happy, um, but here I am, offended by God. We have prayed for eight years uh, to get pregnant, and after two miscarriages, still no baby, offended by Jesus. I have faithfully tithed to the church my entire life, so why is it now in my retirement years I am struggling financially? Or my wife died and left me with two young children. Where are you, God? Or Kristen Whitmore's uh, friend that we heard about uh, broke my heart about Sam and leaving behind a, a young son. These are very real occasions where we may very well be offended by Jesus. So this passage that we're going to look at in Luke uh, is looking at the possibility that John the Baptist, our hero, may be offended by Jesus. Um, so let's look at the passage. Whoops. There we go. And uh, we're going to cover a lot of verses, Luke 7 from 18 to 35, so I'll take it in chunks, um, but I'll try to make it go uh, as smooth as possible. So the first uh, section is 18 to 23. I'll read it to you. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John called two of the disciples to him, sent him to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? In that hour, he, Jesus, healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. So we're going to unpack this. Um, it's important to give a quick mini review of who John the Baptist is. John the Baptist was the final Old Testament prophet. His coming was predicted in Malachi 3. He was a miracle baby to Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, and Zechariah the priest. So essentially, he was Jesus' second cousin. John would go before the Lord in spirit and power like Elijah to prepare his way, calling for repentance of sin. John baptized Jesus. He witnessed the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And he witnessed God's, the Father's affirmation of him. John the Baptist was someone who didn't mince words. He was not afraid of confrontation of, of uh, standing up for righteousness. So he confronted Herod the Tetrarch for taking his brother's wife, Herodias, and for all of the evil things that Herod had done. And so he was locked up in Herod's prison where we find him at this moment. The disciples of John reported all these things 
to John. Now, what were all these things that the disciples reported? If you remember last week, uh, Kristen Whitmore preached on these uh, two miracles that Jesus performed, uh, and the word of these miracles went viral in the area. First, there was the healing of the centurion servant who was near death, and secondly, there was the raising of the widow's son, raising literally from the dead. After hearing these things, uh, John was having doubts, serious doubts about Jesus. Some commentators suggest, well, John really didn't have doubts. It was his disciples that had doubts. So John said, go talk to Jesus and, and be assured uh, yourself that he is, he's the real deal, but I don't have doubts. Uh, this is really not true, and most commentators debunk this notion. John had serious doubts. And what's amazing is scripture didn't hide it. Like if this is a man-made uh, you know, book that you know, someone wrote and made up, they would not you know, have one of their star characters you know, doubt that Jesus was the Messiah. They would literally uh, hide it. Uh, but our scripture is true. And this was uh, scripture saying, yes, John the Baptist had doubts whether Jesus was the Messiah and is here for us to look at and it's here for us to relate to. So why did John have serious doubts that Jesus was the Messiah, the one who is to come? After all, he was related to Jesus and he declared to the world that Jesus, he is the one. Doubts get triggered when our expectations are not met. And what were John's expectations of the true Messiah? This passage in Malachi prophesies John the Baptist and his mission, and also Jesus' mission as the coming Messiah. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? When the Messiah comes, who can endure the day? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. So John, knowing, and, uh, knowing the prophecies about himself and about the Messiah, fully expected that Jesus would come and judge, that he would purify by fire, and he would right the wrongs perpetrated on God's people. Now, the crowd really loved John the Baptist. They were following him. He was so dynamic, so charismatic, and they were even wondering, John, are you the Christ? And he answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John rightfully expected Jesus to separate the wheat and the chaff and to destroy those who would not repent and follow Jesus. This would include both the Pharisees as well as the Romans. So John was fully waiting and expecting a hostile takeover.
Based on old, old Testament prophecies, there were really now two sides of the coin regarding this, this coming Messiah. On the one hand, he would come as a uh, suffering servant, mild and meek and not saying much and not uh, the bruised reed he would not even break, the suffering servant. On the other hand, he would come as the judge and the king. In Luke 4, we see Jesus standing up in the, in the synagogue. He comes up and he opens the scroll of Isaiah 63. And it's so interesting. Uh, he reads it word for word, um, but he stops just before finishing. And it's so interesting how, where he stops. He gets up and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he stops, puts the scroll away, and he says, today this is being fulfilled in your hearing, and he sits down. You like that? (laughs) All right, I'm, I'm happy. Wilson's happy. So he, he, he omitted, and the day of vengeance of our God. He omitted the day of vengeance of our God. Why? Because he knew that bringing judgment would happen at his second coming. His second coming would be, what, 2,000 years later. So he knew it was not now. But John, reading the Old Testament prophecies, had no idea. He felt it would be all one and the same, not separated by 2,000 years. So put yourself in John's situation. Uh, A man of God, dedicated, passionate about preaching repentance and ushering in the kingdom of God, being the messenger, the forerunner of Christ himself. Now he's in jail. He's hearing all these things about what Jesus is doing, and he's doubting. He's, question number one, he's saying, Jesus, are you the true Messiah, bringing both salvation and judgment, establishing your kingdom, and sitting on the throne as our righteous king? That's what I've given my life to. I've sacrificed everything for this cause. Why isn't anything happening? And question number two, which for me would be my first question, like, why aren't you getting me out of jail, right? But I think it would be secondary for John, because if if he was settled on question one, uh, he wouldn't be focused on question two. But question two is, are you going to set me free? You are my Lord. You are my cousin. You are raising the dead, literally. And you said that you've come to set the prisoner free. Hello, prisoner, right? Uh, Why not set me free? John's expectation, now seemingly unmet, led him to doubt. I wonder what unmet expectations we have of God. What things in our lives does God have the power to do, yet he hasn't done it? For me, I struggled with 
the death of a young Christian colleague. I struggle with Justin's diagnosis of autism. I struggle with my own debilitating back injury that left me unable to walk and in tremendous pain. We all have these struggles, physical and emotional illness, securing a spouse, financial debt, joblessness, and so on. How did John manage his unmet expectations? Well, it's very clear. He brought it directly to Jesus. He didn't ask his friends, what do you think? He didn't complain to his family or to the disciples. He brought his question to Jesus. Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? It wasn't a trick question. It wasn't facetious. It was a straight up, Jesus, are you the one or should we look for another? And it's just so interesting to me how Jesus answers John because he didn't answer John directly. The scripture says that in that very next hour, John's disciples have asked him the question. They're standing waiting for an answer. He doesn't answer them, but what does he do? He leans over and he starts healing diseases, plagues. He leans over and casts out evil spirit. He leans over and he bends down and he, heal, he heals the blind. I can imagine John's disciples watching Jesus, looking at his posture as he leans over, puts his hands around and over those who are in need. Uh, how his gaze of love, his heart of compassion, and then speaking healing uh, to each of these individuals. You see, sometimes Jesus won't answer our questions specifically. He won't answer our doubts straight up. But he will reveal more of who he is. He'll reveal himself to us. He'll show us his heart, his compassion, his love for us and for others. He reminds us of his deep affection for us and his ever presence. And often, even if our specific doubt or question is unanswered, our doubt diminishes and eventually becomes irrelevant in the face of who Jesus is. So when we bring our doubts to Jesus, he reveals himself to us and we're good. We continue to trust him and we move on. But continued doubt, when unresolved, can become pervasive and intrusive, leading to visceral reactions that are above scale. Fancy way of saying I'm really pissed off. And we become offended. Once offended, we can go into this fight or flight mode. We either fight angry at God or we flee. We, we run away. We we leave God. We leave church. Whether we take it out on God, the church, our family, or friends, there's casualty. It's my belief that most of the time when people leave a church, it's because they've been offended. 
offended either by God or God's people. Being offended by God or his people can very much be part of the wall that we talked about a few months ago. Right? Connecting the messages. <laughs> Thank you. So then John, uh, Jesus concludes his answer before sending the disciples back. He says to the disciples of John and to his audience, blessed is he who is not offended by me. You may think, oh, is this some like backhand way of saying, hey, John, deal with it. Don't be offended. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, was Jesus accusing John of being offended? I don't think so. Um, the word offended uh, the, is in Greek, scandalizo, which is to put a snare, to put something in the way of, essentially to cause someone to stumble and to give offense. So blessed is he who's not offended by me. Blessed is he who doesn't stumble because of me. And so blessed is he who's not offended by me. Is, is this word blessed like a reward? Um, so is blessed a reward or a state of being? And where else have we uh, seen this word blessed, 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 blessed? Obviously in the Beatitudes, which is in Matthew 5 and Luke 6. Here... Um, the word blessed does not have the meaning of reward, meaning if you are poor in spirit, I will bless you and reward you. That's not the meaning. And so that the word blessed is really referring to a state of being. It's this peaceful state of being, uh, being spiritually happy, uh, being made holy. It really is this uh, state of being. Uh, and so this word blessed in the Beatitudes is the exact same word that we find here in verse 23. So let me rephrase then verse 23 and say it this way. You are in a peaceful state of being when you are not offended by Jesus. You are in a peaceful state of being when you are not offended by Jesus. Essentially, back to critical journey, you've reached level six, right? One foot on earth, one foot in heaven. You've experienced life. You've gone through all of its ups and downs. Your relationship with Jesus, your intimacy with him is what's, it's your center of gravity. What happens, how Jesus, how God works, things that may uh, happen around you, it doesn't matter. It's all good. Uh, Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. And when I had my back injury and I was laying in bed, I was not able to walk at all. Uh, I remember moving away from asking God why. Why at age 49, 50 am I lying in bed and I can't walk and I can't work and I can't serve you? I moved away from the why 
And I started literally clinging on to Jesus. And he revealed himself to me in ways that I've never experienced before in a deep and personal, uh, intimate way. And so eventually my question wasn't like, why? But, okay, Jesus, I'm clinging on to you. What's next? What's next? And not so much, why? Okay, uh, let's look at this uh, next uh, session. Uh, section. You're doing really well. When John's uh, messengers uh, had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. What did you go out to see? Number two, a man dressed in fine clothing. Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. Number th third time, what then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. You will prepare, who will prepare your way before you. And this is the, the real highlight of Jesus' affirmation. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. And all of us were born of women, so John is the greatest. Uh, so he really affirmed John. Uh, and then this very interesting uh, sentence to follow, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. That could be like a whole nother message. Um, so Jesus is now singing John's praises. I almost wish he did it before his disciples left so John in prison could hear these amazing affirmations. It's kind of like an Asian dad thing where you, 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 don't, you don't compliment your child in front of your child. You do it to everybody else, whatever. Anyway, so, <laughs> uh, so he basically says, hey, John is the greatest prophet that ever lived. And, and somehow you and I, who are part of uh, Jesus' new kingdom on earth, we're greater than John. How? Because we live in a time when the kingdom of heaven has already been inaugurated, uh, we have been gifted by the Holy Spirit. Jesus now dwells within each of us, and we fully understand the entirety of God's redemptive plan. And so essentially, we are all John the Baptist 2.0. All right, final uh, section. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like, says Jesus? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, He has a demon. The son of man has come drinking and eating, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by all of her children. So let me summarize that for you in this chart, as only a nerd would do. Okay. So I made a chart, and on the left column are those who are not offended. Right? The followers of John and Jesus, the tax collectors, they're not offended. On the right column are those who have been offended. The Pharisees, the lawyers, this generation. 
So when asked, hey, let's dance, not offended, yes, let's dance. Offended, no, too much fun. <laughs> when asked to mourn, the not offended said, yes, we'll mourn. The offended said, no, too sad. When John shows his very uh, minimalist lifestyle, those not offended said, he is the greatest prophet. Those who are offended, he is a demon. When Jesus eats with sinners, those not offended, you are the Messiah, the Lord, and the King. Those who are offended, you are a glutton and a drunkard. When you're offended, and Jesus and the gospel can be quite offensive, your emotions can be intractable. You will not move. And so we have this dichotomy of those who are offended versus those who are not. In 1 Corinthians, it says, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. The word stumbling block in the Greek is scandalon. So we have scandalizo and scandalon, same root word. It means a stumbling block, a snare. The gospel in Jesus can be offensive. So Jesus, his gospel, this upside down kingdom that we embrace can be offensive to the non-believer and believer alike. As Christians, we know God has the power to meet our needs and wants, but he may not. As he's allowed to be unpredictable, as Kristen preached on last week, he's allowed to be God and he is greater than our experience of him. But when we go to him with our expectations, our entitlements, our disappointments, and our doubts, he will reveal and show us more of, him, of himself. His unwavering love for us, his ultimately reliable character, his peace, his presence, and we can once again trust him. And we are not offended by him. After all, to live is Christ and to die is more Christ. Let's pray. I just want to give uh, each of us a couple of minutes uh, to spend time with Jesus right now. Um, would you ask Jesus, Jesus, what expectations have I, have I been having of you? In what ways uh, are... Am I having doubts? Things that you could do for me, but you're not. And are those doubts moving towards offensiveness? Are those doubts moving towards offensiveness? And just sit with Jesus and let him just reveal more of himself to you. And I'll give you a couple of minutes. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're really grateful that you'd spend time listening to the sermon series. And we also wanted to point you to a few other resources. My wife and I wrote a children's book collection helping kids bridge their faith with God's calling in their life as a businessman, as a doctor or nurse, and as a creative. Secondly, we wrote an adulting journal which helps young adults think through this transition into adulthood whether it's transitions in friendship, family, faith, or calling. 
And lastly, I want to point to a podcast that myself and another church member, Roy Kim, who's a therapist, co-host together. It's called The Same Boat. We talk about relationships. We just finished um, a series on dating. We think back to an English ministry church, and we just tackle all kinds of topics that are relevant to our life. I hope that uh, those resources enrich your life as well. And lastly, if you're looking to partner with us, on our website, we have a give section. You could give to our general fund and continue to serve our church through, um, through partnering with us financially. But if you scroll down, we have quite a few local missionaries that have called Renew Home. If you read their bio, there's also a section to give to each one of our local missionaries. We hope that all of them would be fully funded going into this year. God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us and uh, hope to hear, hope to uh, have you join us again.